Welcome to Blooming Out, Indiana's only LGBTQ plus news and public affairs show featuring music, events, and interviews, both local and global. From the WFHB studios in Bloomington, Indiana, this is Blooming Out. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Blooming Out. I'm Rachel Jones. And I'm Kim Hahn. And I'm Alex Ashkin. Thank you for joining us for a new edition of Indiana's only queer public affairs radio show. We conveniently post to wfhb.org, so if you can't listen live, you can hear this and other episodes via the WFHB website. Each and every week, we produce a show by and for the lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer, and ally communities. Our listeners can always count on us to cover the most pressing issues, interesting people, and latest events reflecting the LGBT plus life in Indiana, the U.S., and across the world. Additionally, we want to wish both our staff and listeners a happy belated Thanksgiving as we were off the air last week. Our featured stories focus around topics both at home and abroad. But tonight, we'll be taking an in-depth look at LGBTQ plus rights in Bloomington and possibilities to create more inclusive, a more inclusive op- community with Mayor John Hamilton. You know, folks, before we get started, I want to take a moment to share with you the things I'm thankful for since we missed our opportunity to do that Thanksgiving Day. And I suppose I'd like to say I was so happy to be able to spend it close by in Indianapolis with my family. Um, I missed a couple of my kids, but there were a lot of people there that I don't get to see very often. Um, And it was, besides the good food, just wonderful spending time with everybody. Beautiful. Absolutely, Rachel. And personally, I want to just say my thanks for both my family, my job, and the wonderful community we have here at WFHB that has given us an opportunity to talk about both serious issues and get to know uh, the real movers and shakers in the community and bring it out to uh, the rest of our listeners. What about yourself, Kim? Oh, uh, I had a wonderful Thanksgiving, and I I went to a Friendsgiving on Thanksgiving Day. Um, the gal is a personal chef, and she had raised the turkey, and then she uh, killed the turkey. And so it was kind of, uh, yeah, it was kind of a cool experience. <laughs> yeah. And how about yourself, Mayor Hamilton? How was your Thanksgiving? <laughs> oh, well... <laughs> Thank you so much for having me here first. I, I, uh, I, you know, FHB is an amazing treasure in our community, and Blooming Out is a great part of, of WFHB, and thanks for all you guys do to put it on. I didn't know you had last week off, so you got a week off. Congratulations. We, we pre-recorded. Oh, you did? Okay. So you didn't get a week off. You just worked extra another week. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good. It's not that's so difficult. <laughs> <laughs> well... Thank you. I had a very nice Thanksgiving in our home. We welcomed uh, a bunch of people, and it all went smoothly. And it is a—it's one of my favorite holidays to get everybody together and and be thankful. That's a good thing. Uh, absolutely. Honestly, I'm glad we're in an environment where we can share and discuss issues that matter most to the LGBT community here in Bloomington and abroad. 
um, and to have such wonderful opportunities to speak with our elected officials, um, decision makers, and the Bloomington community. Mayor Hamilton, how are you doing this evening? <laughs> I am fine. Thank you very much on this very uh, unseasonably warm day. Mm-hmm. It's nice to be with you here. Mm-hmm. So I think we're actually going to change up the format a little bit for our show, and we're going to basically be launching directly into our interview tonight, if you don't mind. Sure. Yeah. Fantastic. Take it away. So I guess this is the thing that's been sort of on my mind the most, which is uh, you came into office in late 2016. Uh, there was a or. Excuse me, early 2016. Early, uh, beginning of 2016, yeah. January 1, yeah. Yeah, and uh, that was after uh, sort of the public relations fiasco, potentially, of the uh, Religious Freedom Restoration Act, and yeah. as that made its way through the Indiana legislature and so on. And so my biggest question is, is both with that and the inevitable follow-up bill that was uh, voted down in the Indiana Congress, uh, one that actually created a um, civil rights uh, ceiling, in a sense, uh, that would have prohibited uh, cities and municipalities from enacting a stricter civil rights ordinance. Uh, Since that seems to be still a little bit in the... uh, public climate, that debate between religious freedom and LGBTQ rights, how do you reconcile this sort of difference between Indiana lawmakers and the Bloomington Hmm. culture that often is sort of pushing the boundaries? Yeah, well, so Alex, that's a a big question. There's a lot going on in that. I mean, I, you know, Bloomington, um, I once I once heard it described. I kind of liked it as saying we're a we're a blueberry in the middle of a bowl of tomato soup, <laughs> <laughs> which is a colorful picture, and um, w- which is true. Though I, before I get to that, I also want to remind everybody that yeah, we're a blueberry, and there's a lot of red country around us uh, in our in our state. But every every place is a mixture. Mm-hmm. Bloomington mm-hmm. has. A substantial number of people who feel very differently and vote very differently. They're not near a majority, but there's still tens of thousands of people. And the most conservative places have many, many people who are not at all in agreement with that. It's just the way our democracy works. We count it. If you're over 50 of one kind, you get you get placed. So we are a blueberry. We're we're a very liberal place with, you know, a very strong majority for for, for values that we'll talk about in a minute. But it's always important to remember that every place is full of people who have different views about that. And so, so look, so coming in uh, into office uh, after RIFRA and the kind of profile our, our state took, um, I have to say it's, it's very gratifying and, pr- and I'm proud to be in the city of Bloomington where I just carry on the tradition mm-hmm. of, you know, the, that the community owns of of being a welcoming place and standing up proudly for the rights of everybody to love who they want to love and be who they want to be and and uh, and within within quite wide norms act how we want to act uh here in town and i think that's so important 
um, you know, Indiana, Indiana was a, the, the actions we took were an embarrassment to the country. They hurt our economy. They hurt our image. Um, they, so my job as a mayor is to try to, to both do what I can at the state level to communicate that's not what Indiana should be, and it's certainly not what Bloomington is, uh, but also communicate sometimes to, to outside people um, about that. You know, business, some business people, they won't come to Indiana. They won't expand. They, don't, they won't look at growing jobs here because of this reputation, and that's really painful. I, anyway, talking too much, but it, it was... Um, you know, it's a challenge, and, and I have to say, so I came in in January 2016. That was a challenge. November 8th, 2016 made it even more of a challenge with what mm-hmm. happened at the national level, and it kind of doubled down on what Bloomington stands for and having to be be proud and 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 unwavering in, in our views on those things. I think it made Bloomington even more pertinent, and believe me, you are not rambling. Thank, <laughs> thank you. Thank you well. for sharing. Um, Speaking of Bloomington being the way it is, the gerrymandering that's gone on, um, anything we can do? <laughs> uh, well, you know, the it's, it's boy, it's really frustrating that um, that our political system seems to think that the the elected officials get to choose who their voters are, not the voters choose who their elected officials are. Right. And it's a it's a dysfunctional system. It's a, you know, I, I have to say that it's a national intentional strategy uh, led by very powerful interests with money and conservative uh, views that want to um, do redistricting even more than it's been done. And, and look, everybody, both parties have done protecting incumbents and trying to draw districts in ways that preserve majorities and that's been done for a long time but it is getting it's it's like a it's like they were playing uh tiddlywinks and now it's chess you know and now the sophistication with which the the targeting of districts and the control is is terrible and you have situations where um you know, we may have, I don't, I'm not, I don't know the exact numbers, but let's say it's a 54-46 election by, by the, the Republican side, but the, but the seats end up 70-30. Well, it's fair if it ended up 54-46 because that's how people voted. But when the seats, when the power gets so dramatically changed from what people voted, we really have a problem. And it, it's... You know, there are people working really hard. There's groups trying to work on this redistricting, uh, and it is very, very important. It's just, it's like knocking on Oz's door or the curtain or something, you know, to try to say, let us in, what's going on behind the curtain, and they don't want to let it change. Being a blueberry, changing the subject a little bit, in in tomato soup, that's a great analogy (laughs) that I never heard. Um, I, I I know we are a prime target for a situation like Charlottesville, mm. um, and I am absolutely confident that you all have been working on things to help prevent that. And I know the city had taken strong action before when busloads of people um, came and protested different businesses. Are we prepared for a situation? such as Charlottesville? 
Well, thank you for asking about that. The, the, first, the first thing I want to say about that is how important it is that public leaders from top to bottom should be, should be trying to diffuse the organizations and hateful groups that are trying to spread this terrible message in our country, which they've been around. We're, they're not going to win, uh, but they are. They can cause real damage, and they have caused real damage. They killed a woman in Charlottesville, obviously, and 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 a minority, a small minority of our country, continues to hold, um, uh, you know, despicable, hateful views. Now, you're allowed to hold views in our country. We don't. We don't. But but it's really important that leadership in the civic space make clear what's acceptable and what isn't. And that's been a, dis- a, a terrible failing of our president who's, who's spurred this on rather than diffuse it. Unlike any president in our recent memories, re- Republican or Democrat, who, who consistently reminded us that America is uh, a welcoming place of all religions and, of, and, and those messages that are so important and not a place where racist ideology has any place. So we don't have that going on, which, which, which causes more stress for people like me and mayors all across the country to have leadership that's not help, helping tamp it down. So we are definitely sensitive to what happened in Charlottesville and, and some other places. Um, uh, these groups that seek to spread this divisive, hateful ideology um, love to provoke controversy they they want attention they um, uh, will do all kinds of things to try to get that done and one of our jobs is to is to diminish the opportunity for that so our police department I've met with uh, Chief Mike Decoff of the police department and others of our own city administration to talk about Charlottesville and what what that would mean we we you know like any city we we today monitor social media messages that are coming around and try to pay attention to what people are talking about. Um, and I think Bloomington has a, a long and important history of of protecting uh, free speech, but also diminishing the opportunity of hateful, uh, divisive, racist speech from provoking more than it should. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we're you know, it's a, it's an issue where I, I also count on our community to do the right thing, and I think it does and will, and as much as possible, Bloomington United and so many messages that say we're that's not us, and if you come here, you're not gonna you're not gonna succeed, and you're not gonna provoke us, and we're gonna we're gonna protect uh, who we are and stand up for who we are. That's fantastic. <coughs> it's a, it is a it's a big concern, and and you know to have voices in our country's leadership kind of spurring this on or affirming the some of these some of these efforts is just uh, atrocious Mm -hmm. so that actually leads me to my second question you'd mentioned uh people with these really strong ideologies they kind of uh look for opportunities to act as a provocateur and sort of inflame situations so, given the fact that the current political climate is extremely divisive, is there some way that you kind of try and go about 
uh, either engaging or disengaging from uh, sort of people with very hard, fast ideological views or and trying to actually move it to a more productive conversation, whether that be about, you know, discussing the actual issues at hand, uh, policy, or so on. You could be a good politician, I think, Alex. I don't know <laughs> if you... I mean, um, I remember... Um, what was my uncle talking about who's in Congress who said, who said um, it's really easy to go into a group of people, a collection of people working on an issue, and blow it up with hatred or with fear-mongering or kind of encouraging people to 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 pull apart. That's really mm-hmm. easy to, in a, a lot of ways, to kind of poke at people and try to get groups to not find common. It's, hard, it's a lot harder to, to try to get people to find common purpose, common ground, compromise, and, and a lot of what what we try to do in civic engagement is, is do that kind of thing. But it's not easy, you know. We we've had uh, we've had issues of of downtown um, safety and civility. I, I created a, a pretty substantial effort to think about what does the community need to do to deal with safety, civility, and justice. Those three things that that all need to be together: public safety, but also civility among ourselves, and also justice for for people to know that justice is. Uh, is a value, and we work toward it. And I always and I always remind people that when you have a civil city, does not mean you have a tranquil city, because Bloomington's not going to be tranquil. People have tranquility suggests like everybody gets along and everything's everything's peaceful and calm. Well, we have differences, and that's we can't ignore that there are differences in values in different ways. But we have to deal with them in civil ways. And with safety and to and working toward justice, so um, you know that's I think that's also kind of part of our our city's DNA is is recognizing. Look, there's you're going to have marches of protest about war and about uh, homelessness and about poverty and about gay rights and civil rights and 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 those and 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 it is through those kind of discourse and discussion and disagreements. That we make progress, right? Mm-hmm. It's just got to be within certain boundaries of mm-hmm. behavior and certain boundaries of respect uh, for each other. So in, in regards to public safety, um, I know that you've worked on the Be Clear initiative. Mm-hmm. And in regards to crime, how, what improvements have you seen or changes yeah, you know, Kim. Thank you for asking. I, I, um, when I ran for mayor the first time, which which wasn't successful, which was in 2011, I talked about the fact that Bloomington had had uh, an increase in violent crime rates over the previous five years or so that nobody would talk about, um, and there were people who were upset that I was even talking about it, um, but one of the things I deeply believe in in government is that we have to be transparent. We have to be, you know, government belongs to all of us. Government is not a separate entity. It's, it, it belongs to the people. All the information that we have belongs to the people. And so it's been real important to me, like with Be Clear, to try to put all this information out there. So we now, uh, actually before I came in, we didn't even release crime data. The only crime data was because the newspaper collected it from public sources and printed it. You have to add to HD you know, to show it. Now, well, it's public data, so we now put it on the website. 
Bloomington's crime, uh, we, we report on every year. Uh, everybody's welcome to go look at it. We, we are still a very safe city, but we're not as safe as we used to be. Uh, our crime uh, is, is an issue uh, from violent crime to property crime. We're still very safe compared to a lot of municipalities, both in Indiana and in the country. Uh, uh, but, but it's something to pay attention to. It's also, I, I, I will take, make the point to remind people that the overall crime rate in America is way down over the last 30 years. And despite our president or other people talking about, was it American carnage? Was that the quote, I think, from, from it? America, the murder rate in America is like half of what it was 30 years ago. And that's a great thing. And people don't think, they don't realize that we're a much safer mm-hmm. place. Mm-hmm. And that's mm-hmm. a good thing. We're not where we want to be. Um, but... And, and so I, so that kind of data is really important to me. And, and um, we report every January or February, kind of on the previous year. So we'll be coming up on that in 2018, looking back at 2017. And we have some issues to deal with. Obviously, there's we got opioids and, you know, some serious uh, drug addiction issues, uh, which are not necessarily crime issues. They, they deal a lot with uh, other issues, but still have issues to work on. Okay, thank you so much. And um, we're going to go ahead and take this moment to take our first music break tonight. We will be celebrating the 35th anniversary of the release of Thriller. So this is a little treat for me because Michael Jackson, in my opinion, is and should be on everyone's legendary pop artist list. And Thriller should probably be at the top of that. It was released on November 30th, 1982. Thriller went on to sell an estimated 120 million units and win eight Grammys for Michael Jackson. And probably the most iconic thing for me is it brought so many new dances to the forefront of society. I think everyone has probably seen the Thriller dance at least once. And most importantly to me, uh, the moonwalk was <laughs> the given birth then. But tonight we will be opening with Beat It off of the record Thriller. Okay, great. You sound great.
That was Beat It by Michael Jackson. This is listener-supported WFHB. Bloomington, Bedford, Ellettsville, and Nashville. Community radio for South Central Indiana and online at wfhb.org. Right now, it is 49 degrees Fahrenheit in Bloomington. Tonight, the low will get around 30 degrees. Tomorrow on Friday, it will be sunny with a high of 52, and Friday night, the low will be around 32. Saturday, it will be mostly sunny with a high of 53, and Sunday, it will be sunny with a high of 55. You're listening to Blooming Out here on WFHB. We have some upcoming events for you. First is the Bloomington Pride Film Festival. The 2018 Bloomington Pride Film Festival explores the lives and experiences of the LGBTQ community through feature-length and short films and live performances that advocate community-wide attitudes of awareness, acceptance, and appreciation of diversity. The event will be held from Thursday, January 25th to Saturday the 27th at the Buskirk Chumley Theater. Check bloomingtonpride.org backslash events for more details. The GLBTAA Gay, Lesbian, Bisexual, and Transgender Alumni Association is having their 10th annual celebration weekend in conjunction with the Pride Film Festival. There will be two events as part of the celebration. First, Friday, January 26th, is the evening reception, which will play, take place in Tudor Room at the IMU from 4 to 6 p.m. and include the scholarship presentations and distinguished alumni awards. Saturday the 27th, there will also be another reception from 4 to 6 p.m. And it's the annual fundraiser with a silent auction benefiting the scholarship program. Now back to Blooming Out on WFHB. Now we return to Mayor John Hamilton. I I have a pressing question I'd I'd like to ask. Um, I know we have a homeless issue in Bloomington that is probably greater than any other city in Indiana per capita. Um, The difficulties that, as a city, we have with that, and where are all these people and who are all these people that are here in this community that are are homeless? I mean, Mm -hmm. I know everyone's different, but I know the deck is stacked against Bloomington a little bit. Well, you know, it's, uh, Rachel, it's it's an important issue. It's one... um, I work on. I used to be the the chair of the board of the Shalom Center, the one of the major uh, providers of services to to the homeless. And one one thing I always try to start with um, we we talk about homeless, but we often kind of group a lot of different issues together when we talk about homeless. Um, Bloomington's um, literal homeless population has grown over the last five or ten years. Uh, significantly, but it's not grown a lot over the last two or three years in terms of the point in time count. Um, I don't think we're quite highest per capita, but we it's definitely an issue for, for, for Bloomington. And one, another thing I, I mentioned is that most people who are homeless in our community and in other communities, most people who are homeless are homeless for a little while. They, they, a, an event in their life pushes them into homelessness. Uh, it could be a family breakup. It could be a medical issue. It could be a financial issue in their household that creates homelessness. And most people fall into homelessness and get back out. Uh, and that's a good thing. And we have 
a lot of people working uh, on that. Uh, we do have people who are chronically homeless who can be homeless for a year or two or three. And, you know, the city of Bloomington opened up Crawford Homes, which is a which is a federally supported program to get the chronically disabled homeless off the street. And we got 30 people off the street. And we're getting another 30 off when we open up Crawford too. And those people's lives are changed dramatically because they get a roof over their head and they can start to get medical coverage and safety and, and the, the outcomes, their, their, their time in emergency rooms goes way down, their times in jail go way down. They, their lives are really saved in a lot of ways. Um, so so um, uh, there are other people uh, where we, we see homelessness. For example, in the summer in Bloomington, there was a very visible presence on Kirkwood. Um, the newspaper wrote articles called Crisis on Kirkwood. That, that and, and that's, we've really responded to that, and Kirkwood's very different, and People's Park is very different. Um, and, and a lot of that was behavior-driven. Um, it wasn't changes in economic circumstances or an overwhelming uh, change in numbers of homelessness. It was, it was behavioral changes, I think, that we, in, including some drug-related things. Um, but here's the cri- here's the real crisis in homelessness is um, almost half of the homeless in our community are families with children, mm-hmm. and they're not really visible. Wow. Usually, they're not the they're not what people think of when they say homeless or think about homelessness because you usually don't see these things. The kids are in school, and the kids are you know really getting hit. And here's here's another crisis is that the the number of kids in in Monroe County who got removed from their homes because of abuse or neglect has tripled in the last three years. It went from one a day to three a day. And that's also kind of invisible to most of us that those are, and those are the kids that are the real crisis. A lot of that's driven by addiction uh, uh, behaviors and, and that creates home. It's they're pushed in out of their home uh, and we're dealing with that. So, so these are really important issues. Another uh, another issue I I met with um, the governor to talk about some issues of housing and and homelessness and and as you mentioned we're concerned about Bloomington becoming a magnet or being used to provide services and I always remind people that we're a magnet in many ways. We we attract people to our bars and restaurants. We attract people to our cultural events. We attract people to our our uh, arts, we attract people to our, our, our uh, athletic events. And yes, as a city, we attract people to social services too, and that's natural. However, uh, I did learn that uh, there are times uh, when the prison system of the state formally assigns parolees who are released from prison who don't, for some reason, can't go back to their other county near us. It could be because of their offense, it could be they don't have a home there, and they are assigned to Bloomington. Um, and I said, so let me get this straight. How does a how does a parolee who's supposed to get a job and get back on their feet, how does it work if you assign us somebody who has no home here? And then we don't have an answer for that, and I'm working on it, because how can we expect people who are released from prison if they don't have a home to be successful over the next 30 days, much less year, right? Sure. So so there are ways that the system is failing, and Bloomington does the best we can. They're an amazing group of people who run the Interfaith Winter's Shelter and who run Shalom and, and, and a friend's place and Middleway House and so many people working so hard to help. 
uh, and and CASA and the volunteers who do that. Um, but we we have more work to do, and I, I I will just say here too, we must have our state government and our federal government do more to help us with this because they're they're not increasing their support to us the way they should. I think. What would that look like? Um, I mean, if we had more funding, what what would that look like in terms of support? Well, a couple examples. Um, we get we get a community development block grant support from the housing and urban development. The federal HUD department gives us money. They just it just went down eighty thousand dollars this year. Uh, when we know we need more, um, the the program that supported Crawford one and two is at risk. That could get cut. We don't know what will happen with that. That would be a disaster for those sixty people. Um, the cost of volunteers who are trying to deal with the with the families who are not able to care for their kids, state government needs to, those are volunteers who are trying to do that. And state government, Division of uh, Department of Children's Services needs to increase its funding to support this. This is a this is a crisis in these kids' lives. You can imagine a, a four-year-old, a five-year-old, a lot of these are very young kids who are being removed from their families. And we're just not doing enough to take to take care of them so that their next 16 years can be better and if we don't do that we know we're going to be dealing with that for the for the long haul so th- look this is this is not some of this isn't rocket science it's funding it's it's providing the basic services of mental health and 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 snap i mean i just i just heard today about a, a person in town who had a felony drug conviction uh is a single parent has kids in our public school systems and this person I am told under state law is prohibited from getting food stamps for her for the for life because of our state law that says if you were ever convicted of a felony drug conviction you may never get food stamps which means your kids never get food stamps. I mean that's a terrible policy and that's that's the tomato soup that we're in right sure <laughs> so we got to all work to to improve those kind of services and out of curiosity, uh, Kim obviously mentioned, in a sense, the what the state and the federal government can do, but also for listeners, what are some things that we as community members can do to kind of help do what we can to support our community and help those who are less fortunate? Well, thank you. Um, first, our, you know, our community has an enormous, uh, generous heart. Volunteers get involved in so many things, including these basic issues of, of of shelter and food and medical care that 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 volunteers do so much in our community to provide um, the the issue of of housing is a very fundamental one um, because if you don't have a shelter if you don't have a place to live whether you're an individual or a family there's a lot of other things in your life that are not going to go very well they're gonna they're not going to work getting to getting to getting down a job, getting your kids to school, staying healthy. Um, all, all that stuff depends upon having safe and stable housing. So uh, it is a really important issue to me as mayor and working with city council to, to do what we can to increase affordable housing in Bloomington. This is a very expensive town. We're the most expensive community in Indiana, both for rents and for ownership. And, um, we have a lot of people who struggle to make make that make end meet. Um, you know, most people don't know that our public housing program in Bloomington supports every day uh, about fifteen hundred households 
sleep in a place that is supported by our public housing. Really? That's Section 8, and that's public housing. And so we're doing a lot. That's really important to help those families and those kids uh, have, a, have a decent chance. But, but there's more that we need to do. So as mayor, I've been pushing to try to do what we can to chip away at the affordability issue. Um, I've, I've, we've created a new housing fund that gets money from developers who are doing higher end things. The big development on 17th and Dunn, if you've seen that crane going up by the, by the, by the uh, uh, stadium, yeah. they committed a million dollars to support affordable housing in the city. Um, I worked with city council to try to support accessory dwelling units, which is letting people build smaller homes, granny flats, some call them or others, on their owner on their owner occupied homes, so that they can we can just increase the number of units that let people live here. Um, I know I kind of ramble, but another story: a young woman who was moving to Bloomington from upstate New York uh, got a job. She was going to come here. She had a tiny home in in Syracuse, I think, New York. And she wanted to move it here, but Bloomington didn't allow it. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, she had a place. I think it was her father. I don't. She, she had a home that was going to let her put her little tiny home there, but our laws didn't allow it. Well, you know, that's not smart from my perspective to let. We, we need to increase options for people. We, you know, creating tiny home villages where people can live more cheaply and, and together is... is, is that home is so basic to make everything else work. A home and a job and healthcare, you're you're, you're on a good start, you know. Sure. Mm-hmm. Okay, folks, let's go ahead and take a quick break and return t- uh, with Mayor John Hamilton after our short music break. Uh, coming up is the uh, iconic track "Billy Jean" from Thriller. Thank you. 
You've been listening to Billie Jean by Michael Jackson from the album Thriller, which is celebrating its 35th anniversary of the album's release. Now let's return to our discussion with Mayor John Hamilton. Couple, couple things, John. I think with the political climate we have now, it has become more pertinent, and it, it's still pertinent here, although maybe not as much in, in other communities, but being what is... I guess, a marginalized individual being transgender and in the community, if I have trouble with the police department, um, what do I do? Yeah. Thank you, Rachel. And, Uh and, and, you know, like I said before, the police department is the public's police department. They, they work for all of us on behalf of all of us. And they're, there, uh, if there are any issues ever with the police department or other parts of government, you know, we all need to speak up. And and um, um, organizations make mistakes. Organizations need to get better. And, and the way we get better is by people talking about it and improving it. Now, there, there are two individuals in the police department who are particularly assigned as liaisons uh, for, for LGBTQ uh, and ally community. If people want to reach out to particular folks, there's a couple sergeants, Dana Cole 
and David Alley, uh, our individual officers, that if people want to reach out to either Dana Cole or David Alley, uh, they have um, a particular responsibility that way. But any of any of the hundred police officers, we want to make sure they're they're treating everybody right. Uh, but that's that's one a couple particular individuals. How would people get a hold of? Either of them? Yes. Just mm-hmm. just call the police department. I'm afraid I don't have memorized the non-emergency police okay. department number, but just Google the Bloomington Police Department okay. and reach out to out to them. Dana Cole and, and course, David it, Alley. Yeah. Of course, mm-hmm. it is an emergency, call 911, but if right. it's not an emergency, there's a, a more general number. Mm-hmm. Kind, kind of a second part, not, not totally a second part to that question, but historically, the LGBT members of the community stand at a higher risk for infection from hepatitis C mm-hmm. and HIV. How can the city help these people, the at-risk population, when it comes to opioid um, and in general? Yeah, you know, that we, we've, of course, like most of the country and, and the Midwest, we've seen uh, increase in opioid use, and there's some indications, you know, you had the terrible Scott County uh, mm-hmm. uh, incidents of infection um, and a needle exchange program. We do have a needle exchange program in Monroe County. Um, the county health department is is really the first place I would go and encourage people to go to to look into that uh, and get testing if they want or uh, get help um, if anybody has any issue with that they're welcome to call City Hall and we're working closely with the county on the whole issue of opioids and addictions and and of course that as soon as you do that you get into mental health issues and you get into housing and poverty and all those issues um, but uh, it, is, it is right that that infection rate uh, is really important to get a handle on. And so I'd reach out to the county health department or, or your own medical uh, professional relationship that you have. Or volunteers in medicine would be a place if people don't have a, a medical relationship that's a, that's that they have right now. Sure. And, and additionally, um, while we were kind of talking over the music break, uh, you had mentioned uh, Taylor Sweet, I believe, is an event... Uh, put on by the Quarrymen's Mittens Chorus, correct? Yeah, you know, thank you for asking. I, I mean, it's, this is such a, a Bloomington thing, and, and like I like I remember uh, very fondly uh, having numbers of events at Rachel's Cafe back in the day when when we did that. Um, the Quarryland Men's Chorus uh, performed uh, a very powerful and poignant a musical piece called Tyler Sweet, which was composed and, and is produced in honor of um, Tyler Clementi, who was a young student at Rutgers who was uh, hazed, a gay, a freshman, and uh, social media uh, harassment and, and, and hazing that caused him, as his mother, who was actually at the performance here in Bloomington, said, caused him to make a, a permanent decision in response to a, a temporary problem but this musical suite was a beautiful performance as i said tyler's mother was here she's she's created a foundation to support the um, the importance of of outreach education prism was there uh, our mental health system uh, center stone was there to help make it a bloomington event that not only was was the arts and memorializing this young man tyler and i got to sing in it with with the coiler men chorus and sylvia mcnair was there and it was a it was at the bus kirk and it was a just a powerful blending of music um commemorating that life and that issue but also education and having young people and medical professionals in the community kind of reminding all of us don't 
you know, don't let this determine who you are uh, and reach out. Um, and, and it was hi- having high schoolers there was really valuable and important. And I w- it was really a privilege to be part of that. So, um, and the Coraline Men's Course has, of course, done so many good things like that through the community. So you'll be going on the road soon? <laughs> <laughs> now, you know, we did. We wondered whether the high schools, it would be great to, to have that at the high schools. And, 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 you know, that's just such a Bloomington thing to have that mixing of arts and, and message and, and, and touching your heart, but also um, um, educating your head, you know, at the same time. It was, it was, a, it was a neat evening. Absolutely. Yeah, and uh, is there any other events or organizations you'd like to just sort of mention or bring attention to that you know, either help you and us as the Bloomington community improve our lovely home or <laughs> perhaps, uh, you know, work with the Bloomington government and the LGBTQ community here? Well, first of all, you better keep this show going. That's important. This kind of venue, this kind of, um, you know, the role of WFHB generally and also shows like this show to, to are, are, are a great part of Bloomington, right? Helping, helping uh, increase uh, awareness and activity and involvement. Um, you know, we're really proud that Bloomington second year in a row scored 100 on the human rights campaign municipal equality index we're the only city in the state of indiana to get that we're really proud of that and that reflects who this community is you know and and who we are and um all the groups that do that from from high schoolers up to the through the university through through uh uh you know the parades and the and the festivals that we have um that's what makes bloomington such a a great place to be privileged to be part of right so um just keep 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 being Bloomington, right? <laughs> you know? it, it is a blueberry, but growing up in Brown County, I'm so glad the blueberry was so close. <laughs> no, no, really, Brown yeah. County is wonderful. Yeah. I love Brown yeah. County, and I love the people of Brown County. But having Bloomington to come to, especially when I was coming out, mm-hmm. um, Mental, wow. it was important. Absolutely, and people need to know that, right? They need yes. to hear it. It matters. A right? safe it place. Matters, it matters to individuals. And it matters to be as uh, a symbol of that too, right? And a message of that. Yes. To wide, wider, wider ways. And we, you know, we certainly have work to do. There are still issues all through our community of of um, making sure we're a safe and a civil and a just place, so that everyone feels welcome here. Absolutely, I <laughs> I cannot agree more. And you heard that first, folks. Bloomington, stay Bloomington. <laughs> <laughs> Um, okay, so I, I guess just to kind of play off um, creating a civil environment, you know, in, in light of the hashtag Me Too, you know, allegations and and subsequent firings, um, you, you know, of, of male leaders in Hollywood and in news organizations and politics, I'm just curious what you do to create a positive and productive work environment in your office. Well, you know, there's a lot of formal things that we do, like any employer, and 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 I think trying to be a good employer with with um, uh, trainings and sensitivities and and uh, 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 channels for uh, complaints, reports, uh, and that kind of thing, which which are which are very important, and I think most responsible employers try to do. You know, I, that look, we're we're going through, and this is ch- changes. 
change is hard and accountability um this is you know there's some stuff coming home to roost on this right we've had we've had a culture look you know you can go you can pick a point in our culture and look at where abuse has been happening and there's we've been reducing it i hope over the 200 years bloomington turns 200 next year and of course our country older than that we've been we've been getting better over time but it is it is a constant struggle and this this activism that says i'm not going to be quiet i'm going to talk about where we're not where we ought to be yet is is that's how the world changes you know and that's important and it's sometimes painful for people who used to think the norms meant this and they were wrong because those norms were were harmful so you know this kind of there obviously can be you got to be careful that it doesn't become a kind of a witch hunt if you will or a, or a or a way that that we don't continue to pay attention to facts and reality but having people talk about facts and reality is is a good thing and more of us need to do it and that's our show for tonight thank you to our special guest john hamilton thank you so much john. thank you for inviting me and and additionally we'd like to thank all of our listeners and volunteers who make this possible Blooming Out is produced by Alex Ashkin. Our executive producer is WFHB News Director Wes Martin. Jesse Grubb is our audio engineer. For Blooming Out and WFHB, I'm Alex Ashkin. And I'm Rachel Jones. And I'm Kim Hahn. Tune in next week for a brand new Blooming Out every Thursday from 5.30 to 6.30 p.m. on WFHB. Volunteer-powered community radio. Blooming Out, Indiana's only LGBTQ plus radio program, airs every Thursday evening here on WFHB at 5.30 p.m. You can also stream us 24 hours a day, seven days a week on WFHB.org or BloomingOut.com. Thank you for listening. Please tune in again next week to Blooming Out. <laughs>